to nine. You're with SFM 104 to 107. And uh, I have to say, a total classic track. One of our listeners saying, thanks for the brilliant music on our show. Well, I have to say, that's your choice. You guys play the music. You are the DJ. And that's the choice of Matilda Malope from Rustenburg saying, at Mish Constant, please play the nation, the Phil Collins song, uh, I wish it would rain down. Well, it certainly uh, looks like it may just do that here in Johannesburg. Not sure about the rest of the country, but I'm looking out the window of the sixth floor here on SAFM at our studios. Time for us to go into word domination. And today we're looking at a book. We're talking about um, what it, does it mean to write an unauthorized biography or to write an autobiography or to write an authorized biography. We'll try and understand uh, what that really means. And the people that are going to explain it to us are the two authors, Jonathan Anser and Chris Whitfield, who have just written a book uh, by Jonathan Ball Publishers titled Joining the Dots, an Unauthorized Biography of Praveen Gordon. We have both Jonathan and Chris on the line. Jonathan, welcome. Chris, welcome. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. So what I'll do is I'll, 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 I'll <laughs> because it's not always that easy when we have two people on the line. So what I'll do is I'll frame the questions to each one of you, if I may. And uh, you are there, thereafter able to respond if you feel like you have more to to answer on the question. But I'll start with you, Jonathan, is that when we talk about an unauthorized biography, what do we actually mean? I'm thinking of the Sia Kulisi unauthorized biography yeah. and the response that happened there, which is not what happened to you at all. No. For an unauthorized biography, essentially, the, the person you're writing about the subject has no control over what you, you're writing. You're not doing it with their permission. You're not doing it with their endorsement. Um, they can't tell you what to write. They can't tell you who to interview. They have no sight over the the, the the copy unless you have an arrangement with them but uh, addition uh, the, 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 there's no control that they can exert so it's 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 not in collaboration necessarily um, uh, so it's independent so the conclusions that you come up with the people you speak to you choose to, to uh, who to, the author chooses who to, who to go and speak to and so in our case um, Pravin had no uh, uh, oversight of our, our copy. He agreed to cooperate with us and he agreed to be interviewed by us, um, but he didn't have to. He could have said, no, you know, thanks, but I'm not interested, or, you know, he didn't have to even say thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we would have still gone ahead and written it. Um, because he's a public figure, he's in, you know, he's in the public domain, uh, he, he's ripe for, for for writing about. I think in the Sia Khaleesi book, um, it, it, it got a little bit murky. Um, but but they, the, the author, I think it's Jeremy, also from uh, 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 Jonathan Ball, had every right, in my opinion, to, to write a, a, a about about Sia. Um, but in our case, Pravin did cooperate with us. He did allow us to interview him. Uh, at length, he was very generous with his time, but but we didn't send him the manuscript. Uh, he, he had no; he only read it once it was published. Well, we think we don't even know if he's read it yet. We believe <laughs> he's read it, but but he, <laughs> he, he had no control over it. So it's independent, and the conclusions that we came up with were our own. I mean, it, it's independent. But what is interesting about this as an unauthorized biography, and Chris, I'll put this to you, 
is that, as uh, Jonathan has said, you had um, an interview with uh, Pravin Godan. You also had an, inter- uh, an interview with his, his partner and wife, Vani Godan, and indeed some of his close colleagues and even friends. And I imagine that what that does is that does frame the, um, I suppose, the positivity, negativity, whatever the case may be, of this book as well. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, he was, he was, so to speak, he was in an open book, and he encouraged his wife, but frankly, she was a little bit reluctant. He encouraged her to talk to us, and I understand that um, the various comrades from over the years that we spoke to, who checked with him if they if they should speak to us, he said yes. <laughs> but I think he did that in the context of um, I've got nothing to hide. Yeah. And and the, the broader part of your question, uh, would that make you feel more positive about it? Well, I think so, because he has a guy who, who indicated to us in every sense that, that he didn't have anything to hide. And uh, we set out, quite frankly, to you know, write a what's and all book. We thought, we thought there would be some dirt there, but quite frankly, we couldn't find any. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Chris... Um, you, you you talk about the book that you wrote and, and what, what I was struck by when I was reading it. The title is Joining the Dots. And in many ways, you, you, you create the dots. And how you create the dots is actually in the structure of the book. So what you do in the book is you have a series of different chapters, the making of an activist. I'm just reading it through now. The making of a philosopher and the politics of non-participation, the providence unit on and on and on, the burden of competence, um, uh, the cabal, etc. What's interesting, though, is that each one of those chapters almost remains as a unit in its own right. And I wondered if that was done on purpose, because sometimes I felt like maybe the dots weren't joined, but what we rather had was a series of really, really fascinating chapters, where each chapter sat, as I say, beautifully on its own. Yeah, we certainly we certainly got to a point where we were sitting and talking to each other and saying, you know, there's actually four or five books in here. How are we going to how are we going to manage this? You know, we had a word count from the publisher, and um, so within that within that framework, we decided to do it as a series of essays. Yes, and hopefully by doing that, to to paint a broader picture of his life and where he'd come from and and what his contribution to South Africa had been. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll start with the making of an activist, uh, Jonathan, if I may. And I I was reading this on the plane and I had, I laughed out loud. You spoke about um, (laughs) Gordon and his fellow activists when they they launched their own orientation initiatives off campus, which I thought was really, really clever. But then what I laughed about was that um, some of his friends noted that he was, in fact, at some times he, in fact, acted, and I think he acted as one of the witches in Macbeth or something <laughs> insane like that. And I thought, but then, of course, then a Yusuf Vorda, who's today a lecturer at the University of KwaZulu-Natal, also noted that he's probably the least skilled in terms of singing or acting. And I just had this image of <laughs> Minister Pravin Godan acting as one of the witches in, Lady Macbeth, in, in Macbeth. Talk to us about that briefly, that story. So, so uh, you know, we, we went into his background, and we 
there is very little in the public domain. So we found a whole lot of his former comrades from the Natal days in the the, the late 60s, early 70s. And uh, while they were at university, they they were in conflict with the university administration uh, because it was a Fakrumpter University, University of Durban Westville, um, and they were strongly aligned with the apartheid politics. And they had all sorts of requirements. You know, he would, he, they would go on to, to campus and there would be somebody checking to see that their, their haircut, you know, w- was okay, their hair wasn't too long, and they were wearing ties. And if they weren't, they would be sent back. But it also was very politically uh, conservative. And so they, they, they decided to have their own orientation. They, they, at some point, they boycotted the SRC or they disbanded the SRC. Um, and they had their own orientation off campus. And um, I, I think it was called uh, a, a, a farsity. They called it farsity. Um, and, they, <laughs> and they put on their own uh, plays. The, one of the plays that they put on was Sizwe Banzi is Alive. So it was at, at that point, Sizwe Banzi is Dead, the original play, was very, very popular. But they changed the message and they, they wanted it to be more positive. Um, and it was a way of recruiting and conscientizing first-year students. Um, but it was also, you know, sort of tapping into the cultural aspect of uh, the community. Mm. And uh, Pravin was, you know, <laughs> he was those committees. Um, and, uh, you know, we spoke to Ivan Pillay, who wasn't on uh, at university at that, uh, you know, w- 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 with those activists. But he remembers going to watch, I think it was... Uh, <laughs> She's <laughs> where Bunzi is alive, and he, he was certain that that Pavin was in the play, um, and he described him as having long hair in a, that was in a ponytail, which is something that when we were speaking to Pavin, we asked him, "Do you remember being in this play?" And there, you know, he's got a bald head now. It's fifty years later, <laughs> and he he denied it. He said, "Well, he might have been behind the scenes, but he but he, he didn't think so." But uh, Ivan Pillay was was pretty sure that he was. <laughs> We're chatting to the authors Jonathan Anson and Chris Whitfield, um, author of the book Joining the Dots, an unauthorized biography of Praveen Gordhan. And one of the ways that the book is written is, uh, as Chris was noting, is a series of essays, actually, about specific topics within the life of uh, Minister Praveen Gordhan. It's, it's a really well beautifully written book and we're going to go to a break and when we come back I want to talk to you about one of the chapters Smoke Without Fire and talking very much in relation to the media and um, politics in this country we'll do that when we at SAFM Radio and at Mesh Constant on SAFM chatting to Jonathan Answer and Chris Whitfield about the book that they have written an unauthorized biography of Praveen Gordhan uh, Chris, you know, the, the the chapter Smoke Without Fire talks to what um, we have seen over the last decade, which has been how, in many ways, Praveen Gordhan has been a target for sometimes extremely unethical journalism as well. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's evident. I mean, the more you dig into it, the more evident it becomes is that the media was abused. And sometimes I think, quite frankly, they were just very naive uh, that Sunday Times investigation into the so-called rogue units, I think they were, they were just taken for a ride by intelligence agencies who, who were gunning for Green Gordon. But um, 
then it became malicious. And in the case of the independent group, I think you have a, a journalist who's actually seeing a man who's out to expose corruption and actively um, acting against it. And uh, it was, it's been widespread and it's continuing to this day. It was interesting what you what you spoke about in in that particular chapter, Chris, because it did um, give some insights into the kind of person that the minister is. And you know, for many of us who've not had access to him, who don't speak to him, we don't know who he is because all we see of him is either uh, is in the public terrain. And yet he was, you know, someone was quoted as saying that he can rub people up the wrong way very easily. He's got a sharp tongue, quote unquote. He's got a very emphatic manner and, quote unquote, he can piss people off very easily. Um, but that does talk to the idea of someone who is possibly very straightforward and the games that uh, many politicians, not him, but that many politicians may be playing consistently and continuously uh, in the public space. Yeah, totally. I mean, he is—he doesn't suffer fools. He is a very direct person. People who work with him um, will tell you that when they have a meeting and they have a subject they have to address, they will research it beforehand because it's and, because he's scary if, if you if you're getting things wrong or haven't done your preparation. Um, and I think that spreads into his public uh, persona. Yeah, um, it's it's. It's a kind of bluntness, but I think it's driven largely by courage. I think he's just a very brave man and a very ethical man, and he doesn't uh, chant uh, nonsense from people, quite frankly. So give us a behind-the-scenes, Jonathan. You and Chris uh, <laughs> must have like gone, okay, now that we know that this is how we need to approach him for our interview, did you just have piles and piles of research in front of you when you did your Zoom uh, interview? <laughs> Well, we, we did we did research, but we were quite fortunate in, in that we would ask a question, uh, you know, and he would just respond, and he, he responded to every question we we asked. He, he never uh, he shunned anything. He never told us, you know, we can't ask that, um, and and uh, so it was quite easy for us, and and it, it turned into these long conversations um, rather than sort of just sort of throwing questions at him. Um, and it was quite interesting to see him reflect on, you know, the, the 50 years ago becoming an activist. But then again, the more recent times, and you know, we could see the sort of, you know, the the, the, the pain, you know, for, for want of a better word, of of his confrontation with the forces of of state capture. It, it really did take a toll on him. Um, so we were quite lucky to to. Get to, uh, of course, it all took place on Zoom. Um, we, we were writing this during the, the sort of pandemic, well, the ongoing pandemic. So we never actually got to, to meet in person. Um, but, but, you know, but he was quite forthcoming. And um, we did do our research. So we had spoken to a lot of his uh, comrades and colleagues. Um, and, and we did have a lot of information. So, but, but yeah, he, he, he was very open to us. I do wonder, you know, and as I read it, and you, 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 you touch on this in, in one of the chapters, which is called Optimism is Certainly There, and Chris, maybe you want to answer this, is this idea of um, the kind of full metal jacket that one has to have in order to be part of this game of politics. Um, 
not just uh, emotionally, that you have to be extremely well protected in your own mind and have a very strong sense of self, but I suppose also just politically. Um, you know, one doesn't... I mean, we, we've seen it. We've seen in KZN, we've seen the murders of different political players most recently in the last couple of weeks. And do you get a sense of what it is that, that holds this minister, Praveen Godan, together? And um, is, it his, is it his very close colleagues and friends? Is it his family? Do you get a sense of that, what, where that, that continuous desire to be what you describe as um, an activist orientation as opposed to a career orientation? Yeah, I think, I think his friends and family are very supportive of him and important to him. Um, and certainly we picked that up from a lot of people that he likes to go back to KZN and, and touch base with people he's grown up with and who he knows well. And his family, he's very, very close to his family, obviously, his wife and daughters. But um, I think the thing that actually probably the, the cements that, um, that keeps him steady is, is his own personal conviction. And they're unshakable. He's a, he has, he's a man of particular beliefs. And he has followed those through his entire life. And, you know, they, they, they have put him into contact with people like the apartheid security forces and more likely Jacob Zuma. And, but he has stayed consistent to those values. And I think that's what uh, keeps him going, keeps him on the road, actually. So one of our listeners, and we're going to have to be very quick on this, is saying that the, that we see a difference between what he describes, and this is our listener describing it, as pro-neoliberalists as one faction and RET as the other faction. How would you describe it? Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't really get the question. Is, is he describing him as being He's saying that, that, that we forget that there is a pro-neoliberalist faction and an RET faction. And I'm wondering if, if, if that's the way you would describe it, or how would you describe it? No, I, I think neoliberal is a very, uh, very unfair way of categorizing that camp. Mm. Um, I do think there is, a, there is a RET crowd, and then I do think there are good guys. There's, there's a bunch of people who really are committed to the country, and it's not neoliberalism. It's, it's, it's broadly speaking, it's uh, the ethics of the freedom charter, the principles mm. inherent in the exactly. freedom charter. And I do think that, that the good guys in ASC, and that would include Praveen Gordon, are pursuing that objective. I think, as you note, it is very closely linked to the freedom charter.